Amen. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2, and I ask you to do that, Jeremiah 2. I have two Bibles because I, I, I have one is the New Living Translation, and I want to reference something that is, that is mentioned in this paraphrase uh, of the Bible. But um, we're in Jeremiah chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. Jeremiah chapter 2, first 13 verses. And, you know, we love to... Uh, we love to have we'd love to have it where it's always we're always having our backs rubbed. We're always propped up. We're always made to feel good, right? And that's and then we we mistake that for for being joy. We mistake that for being God's child. We mistake that for being affirmed. Those things are all byproducts of of our relationship with Jesus and who we are, but we can certainly be fooled by that. And if we look for that, we'll deceive ourselves. If we're always looking for that, that feeling or that certain affirmation or whatever it is, because it's so much more and so much deeper than just our feelings. Amen? I love them. I want them. Right? Who doesn't? I love it. I love it, right? But we're going to take a serious look this morning. And, and no, it's not all downer, but it's, it's, it's a reminder because there is a, a parallel here when we're looking in Jeremiah chapter 2. And before I read the text, I want to give you a little bit of context. See, God in the Old Testament here with, with, with his people, Israel, is about to bring divine judgment. And I know we've said this before. That's a word we don't want to hear. It's a word we don't want to talk about. It's a word that we'd rather have off to the side or those words like discipline, punishment, all those things. We don't want to hear about that. We don't want to talk about that. We want all the good, fuzzy stuff, right? Because that's, after all, that's, that's what God wants for us, doesn't he? Yes, he, he wants the best for you. But he's serious about how you will get the best. He's serious about that, right? And God's people here are, are going to be punished. They're going to be, frankly, destroyed by the Babylonians. It's a harsh reality. It's a harsh thing. And I'll make a parallel in just one second. But, but in preparation for this coming judgment, because God's people have walked away from God, frankly, and God sends Jeremiah about five years before that captivity and, 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 and they, they're taken over and, and handed over to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah and, his, and all the recordings there, there are 13 sermons. Yes, they are sermons or they're prophecies. They're sermons of the coming judgment against them. Right? And instead of, I think of, I was thinking about that this morning as I was going over and reading the scripture over and over again. And I, I, instead of being like the Ninevites, where Jonah, who wasn't obedient, but then finally after having to go into the belly of a whale, or a fish, I should say, he goes back and he speaks, and the Ninevites repent. Right? After, after hearing this message, and I don't know how forceful he was, but he, he obeyed and he sent the word. And 13 times in... Jeremiah, he preaches this, and God's people are like, yeah, whatever. There's even a reference in chapter 7 that they're like, Jeremiah, you're crazy. I'm paraphrasing. We've got the temple. I mean, we're God's people, and we have Solomon's temple. Are you kidding me? How is God going to get rid of that? Jeremiah's like, oh, he'll get rid of that, and he can do it really quick. Right? Just like he removes the lampstands in Revelation to the churches there. God is a God who's serious about what he says. Right? And so he is here talking to his people. And, and again, it's unfortunate that they weren't like the, like the Ninevites, but they just kept going and, and walking away from God and doing their own thing. And God is showing them, if you read Jeremiah, the reasons for his divine judgment. The list is long, and I'm not going to go over that. But, but there's a lot of things that they were doing and participating in that were bringing about this, this, this time of, of captivity that God would bring him into. And, and our passage today is is the first in chapter 2 of the 13 sermons. Okay? Now, let me make a parallel and a connection in case you're wondering. So let's go to the New Testament because we don't like to think about God as being a God who's holy, who's, who's just, by the way, and always does the right thing, and He's serious about who He is and about who His people ought to be and must be. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? 
Do you, does, everybody, does anyone not know that story? I'll tell you really quick, because most of you probably know. But they were, they, were, they were in the first church, this couple, and they lied to the apostles, and most importantly to God, the Holy Spirit. And as a result, for their lying and not being truthful, you know what happened to them? Instantaneous... Well, not, not that, but they were struck down. And right on the heels, the spouse comes by and the sa- commits to the saying the same thing and instantaneously, and he's even said, before you're even done, basically, there will be others that will take you away just like yours. Bang. That's a God who's serious about who he is and he doesn't play games, right? So uh, again, this, isn't, this is a reminder for us, but there's great encouragement here too, okay? But, but this is a reminder. God is God. Is God. He's serious, man. He's holy. He expects righteousness from us and to us do the right things and to be consistent with our words and our attitudes and everything in our lives. Because if not, and we keep going that way, we're deceiving ourselves and we're fooling others as well into thinking that we're representing a God who isn't God at all. If we're not careful. Right? So this preparation is happening. And God says to his people through Jeremiah certain things. And we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 2. And I'll, I'll read in, in the... Um, the New American Standard, and then I'll reference other things later in the New Living. But let's start. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? And they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things, but you came and you defiled my land, and my inheritance you made an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your sons I will contend. For cross to the coastlands of Kittim and see, and send to Kedar and observe closely, and see if there has been such a thing as this. And this is what he's talking about. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. Verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now, in case you're wondering, there's an amazing parallel again for the Christian life. And, and if we make this, this analogy, right, in a connection, that God sets his people free from, from the slavery of Egypt, and the book of Exodus covers that, and he, they cross through the Red Sea, and they're free, and they're going, and they're en route. And they eventually get to the promised land where there is that fruit, that plentiful. God blesses them over and over and over again, right? And they're there, and when they're saved, they're delivered from that bondage, and it's a parallel to our bondage of sin. There's a type there. There's a, there's a symbolism there. And they are set free and they're brought into that prosperity that God provides, them, provides for them. As long as they are faithful to their God. It's conditional. They're still His, but it's conditional. As long as they are faithful to their God to obey and to do what He says. They are the blessed among all nations and among all people. But they're not because... They quickly forgot. 
And it reminds me of what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and chapter 6, and in many portions actually, but in Deuteronomy 8. He says, don't forget, and I'm paraphrasing, God's saying through Moses, listen, you're in this beautiful land, and when you get there, because Moses didn't enter, but he says, when you get there, remember, when things are good, don't forget me. When things are bad, don't forget me. But don't get all lazy and apathetic and, and just laid back and lazy and neglect me and forget my ways and don't do it because if you do that, he lists out blessings and curses. We don't want to hear that either, right? But God is holy. He's right. He knows what's best and he expects, he demands because of his holiness and who he is and as the lawgiver, our obedience to him. He does. He demands that. And so here's what we hear from Jeremiah to us today and that we can find ourselves. And he says this to God's people, the Israelites, but he says to us as well. God says to his people through Jeremiah in the first few verses, I remember first your devotion to me. God's saying first, there's a few things he says in these verses, but he says, I remember your devotion to me. Now, it's a past thing. If he remembered, it's something that happened. It's not happening in the way the language is. It's not happening right now. You can read it. We read it. It's not true in the present. It's not happening right now. Jeremiah, again, as I just mentioned, he goes back to the Exodus. Let me make it more personal. He goes back to your salvation. When he sets you free from the bondage of Egypt or sin and that slavery, that sin brings upon our lives or we are not free, but we are bound, right? We're not free in Christ. We're not free to serve him. We're bound and we can't even see who God is and we're, we're bound to sin and to do sin's bidding. We're not free. And he speaks of how he brought them out of bondage to Pharaoh. We know that story well. And look, if you look in our text, it's right there. You can follow along. He speaks first of their devotion of their youth. The devotion of their youth. You know what he, he's referring to that natural devotion that a child has to their parents. Some would say it's instinctive. It's God-given. But it's, there's a devotion there. What else? There's reliance, dependence upon. Now, as children get older, and I've been there and you've been there, we, 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 we get too smart for, for our own good and, and we're too smart for our parents, right? And, and so we start to know things and so our devotion wanes and we, we love them, we made honor, but we, we're not as devoted to them. We're not all in, we're not, we're not right? Because we, we become more independent and that's good. That's, that's growth and development and we should. We're our own people. I get that. But there's that devotion where you would do and you would cling and you'd be close to your parents and you're needy and you're dependent and that's the picture here. I remember... And it changed by the time I was a young teenager, like a lot of us. But man, my parents, if I could put this, and my dad especially, he was kind of like a hero in my sight. He was a hero in my sight. I looked up to him all the time as a godly man, someone who served God and who loved people and loved the Word of God. And I looked up to him and I, I, I wanted to, there's a lot of things I wanted to emulate in his life, I'll tell you that much. Still do. He's not even around. I still wish, I still want that. I desire that. But they were heroes in our sight. <clears throat> they rescued us from difficult times, right? They helped us when we were hurt. They listened to us. And when we cried, they comforted us. They were there for us. And we would always lean on them. And in our eyes, our parents could almost do no wrong, especially when we were so young and little. Helpless in many ways, right? That relationship. And they had our almost, I would put it, unquestioned devotion as little infants and children. Israel started off with this kind of devotion to God and for God. They started off this way. And God says, I remember your devotion of your youth when you were a child and you were young and you were devoted to me and committed. And he says, you had that devotion. And secondly, and then he says, Jeremiah says next, that they loved God like a bride loves her husband. The love of your betrothals. I remember the devotion of your youth, the commitment and the love and the respect that you had, but I remember also the love of your betrothals. Let me ask you a question for those of you who are married or have been married. Do you remember your wedding day? Some of you are choosing not to remember. <laughs> right? I hope that's not true, but I remember. I remember my wedding day. I do. I remember... A lot of things almost crystal clear, to be honest with you. I remember that. I remember my wedding day. How much 
you loved your husband or your wife. It was deep. It was almost unspoken. And the emotions and the tears knowing you're before God and you're making a vow, a covenant that is permanent. Right? And and, and they'll love it to the point that you will devote yourselves to this person so that God can make you one flesh. And there's a picture there of what it was like with God and Israel. But Israel started doing this. Jerry reminded Israel that they loved like God like this very in the early years that it was like that in, in, the, in their history. Israel followed God. Not only that, that they have a love for God like a bride loves her husband, but Israel followed God. Jeremiah says here, God says through Jeremiah, they followed God. The cloud led them by day, the fire by night, and they followed. Moses was their leader. They followed. They were following God and they were glad to do it. They were looking to do it. Not anymore in this context that Jeremiah is writing about, that God is speaking to him through. And then Jeremiah tells them also in verse 3 that they were special to God in those days. Of all the nations of the world, they were his special treasure. Right? It reminds me of what Peter said to God's people. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, right? You are, you are God's people. You are marked. You are set apart. You are something to behold in God's eyes. And He never takes His eye off you. And that's what it was like here. They were the first fruits of the nations, if you will. And just like the first fruits of the harvest was to be given to the Lord... They were His first fruits. They belonged to Me. So much so that God even reminds them that any nation that tried to take them over incurred God's anger and punishment. Think about that. That's how jealous and how strong God's love and devotion was for them. And His covenant and His word was so binding that that was like that. He said, anyone who tried to come against you, they're going to incur punishment for Me. I love you that much. I'm devoted. I created you. I made you as a people. And, and you're special to me in those days. And somehow, God is implying here, and He's saying very clearly, why am I not so special to you now? Now, you might be listening, and you might say, I'm good with God, man. I love Him. I read the Bible every day. I'm, that's great. These people still probably referred to the law all the time as well and referred to Moses' words and, and, and everything else. I'm sure they did as well as everything else that was going on and mixing it all with everything else that was not of God that was also pagan, right? They were doing that. So the point is, we have to always be checking ourselves. Don't think that you're someone when you're not. Paul warns us of that in Galatians. Don't think that you're somewhere here and you're not. Be careful. Check yourself. I got to check myself. You got to check yourself. Right? So he said, I remember your devotion to me. That's what he says in the beginning part. Secondly, in verses 4 to 8. 4 to 8, this is what God says to the prophet. And he says to us, I lament your departure from me. And again, you might be saying, I'm not departing from God. I know he's always with me. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. I know he's with me. He never leaves me or forsakes me. You're you're right. You can quote that all you want. But you can still be far away. And in so doing, you're departing from God. You're leaving. And your interests, your devotions are fading or gone. Right? They went far from me, in verse 5 it says. They went far from me especially after the deliverance from Egypt when they were so close and clinging and they followed the cloud and the fire and the voice of Moses. They had issues with him too after they got you know, set free and they were complaining and whining. But I lament your departure. And in verse 4-7 to seven makes it clear. It was not, I want to be clear here because the word is clear. It was not because they found any fault in God. They didn't find any fault in God. And they still left. They still departed. They still, after everything God had done and who He was to them, He did not abandon them in the wilderness. He could have. He didn't. 
Well, he couldn't. It would go against his nature, right? You can argue that. It's theological. But it's, he, was, he was a covenant-keeping God, right? But he did not abandon them in the wilderness. He led them all the way through, as he said he would. He brought them into the land of plenty, and they enjoyed all of its good fruits. It wasn't because they found any fault in God. There is no fault in God. There is no sin in God. There is no error in God. God is perfect. He's holy. He always does what is right. He didn't leave them. They had left him at this point. The priests, he says, did not know God. Let me just paraphrase it this way. They didn't stay in the Word. You want a modern approach? They didn't stay in the Word. Yeah, the Lord God, He is one. Moses told us that many times. Ah, but maybe there are others. Sounds like today. Ah, it's a variation of all of them combined. And God's like, hello? What? And that's happening today. And the priests did not know the word. They didn't stay in the word. And they add and they take away. And even further, the rulers among them, religious leaders and rulers, they disobeyed God. Plain and simple. God said, do X. They said, eh, we're just going to do A. I don't feel like it. Eh, it's not very palatable. And eh, people don't want to hear that. They disobeyed God. And the prophets gave false messages like Balaam. They gave false messages with false motivations and ambitions. They gave false messages. They're saying whatever they want for their own gain. It's a false message. Right? Everything is good. Are you kidding me? We got mega churches up the... Well, pardon the expression. We got mega churches all over the place. People are flocking. How can it not be good? Well, I'll tell you how it's not good. Go back to the rulers in those churches who are disobeying God. Go to the priests who don't know the word and add and take away. And it becomes a big mess. And God says, what are you doing? You're abandoning me. You're abandoning me. And it's not just mega churches. It's the church all over today. I lament your departure from me. God is lamenting. He is in mourning. He is sad. His heart is broken. He is ripped apart inside because His people are doing all the lip service, going through all the motions, but they're going like this. Yeah, I don't really need you. Nah, you're just another God. It's okay. Yeah, you rescued us, but yeah, it's okay. I don't really need you. That's what they're doing. God is heartbroken. In verses 9 to 12, moving along. After God laments their, their departure from him, he says, I have a case. Just so you know, Israel, I have a case for judgment. I have a case for judgment. Contend in the New American Standard, that word contend in the Hebrew is a word for filing a court case or a lawsuit. That's what it means. Right? And in verse 9, in the, 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 the New Living Translation says, and it brings it to light much more better than hearing the word contend, although it's literal, but the meaning here is this. Therefore, he says, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Where? In the court of law. I have a case. I have something to bring that will show. And I have all the evidence, all the proof, um, and I make that final decision because I see it all and I know it all. And guess what? You're guilty. You're wrong. You're way off. You've abandoned me. You've done all these things. You've turned to other gods and idolatry and done your own thing. So he says, I have a case for judgment. God says, look at the other nations. You will not find any who have forsaken their little g-gods. Who, by the way, are not really gods at all. And yet, he says, you have forsaken the one and only true God. Verse 13. Israel has committed two sins. Two evils. Two things that are horribly disgusting in God's eyes, if you will. And, and he's lamenting it, and he's, and he's broken, right? And he even says in verse 12, the heavens, actually, he says, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And in verse 12, he says, the heavens are shocked 
at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. And again, that's a New Living Translation. But if it's, it's even actually more interesting in the New American Standard. Just, just listen to this. He says, be appalled, O heavens. When you are appalled at something, what, what, what does it make you feel like? Just a horrific shock. It's a shock that brings you horror, if you will. I, you can't even believe it. You can't even process in your mind. And as he says here, very little, be appalled, O heavens, as a witness, all of creations, all of heavens, be appalled at this. And he says, and shudder, and shudder, be very desolate, declares the Lord. Go into a place where you are, frankly, inside, you're freaking out. Just trembling and shaking and just can't even believe what's happening. And he's telling heavens, the heavens to do this because of what God's people have done this. And then he says, right after that, for my people, why should they be appalled? Why should the heavens shudder? Because my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two things, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and secondly, they're digging their own cisterns that will never hold water. They don't hold water. They're leaky, they're cracked, they're broken, they're imperfect, and they just dry up. They don't, it doesn't work. It'll never satisfy. It doesn't get you to where you need to be. She has forsaken, Israel has forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and she has committed that second sin, making for herself cisterns that would not even hold water. Cisterns were these hand-dug things, right? You get water from a good source, then you fill it up. Sometimes it's rainwater, but you fill it up from a fountain, and it's, it's, when you let it sit there, it gets all stale and nasty if you don't go through fast enough, right? But then it has that earthy taste, like you're drinking dirt. Mmm. Right? Can you imagine? I mean, yeah. You got to do what you got to do, right? But then if it's there for a long time, it gets nasty and bacteria and all kinds of other things that thrive there and, and can make you sick in the end, ultimately. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. They needed it for survival and they had to replenish them frequently so it stayed fresh and moving that water around. But that's what was going on. Let me just show you a, a story. Actually, some of you know this already. But a few years ago, and um, I, I really miss our brother Gary Bowden with the Lord and um, I miss him a lot actually but we would regularly get together and after a while he says listen um, let's, let's, let's make it a habit let's get into a routine where we, I'll take a cohogging and I said alright that's great and I haven't done much of that whatever so he was so kind that he would come from his house in Exeter on, on, his, on his car with the racks and he would have two kayaks on there that he put up there by himself he'd pick me up and he would take me to Great Island. And he would take me there where he grew up, a house that he grew up in with his parents, and his neighbor, Linda, is still there. And she's living there with her husband, and she would let him park there in her driveway because there's no parking on this island. And we'd come down to the little launch, bring the car back. He, he'd bring the car back, walk back down to that little launch, and we'd get in the kayaks and we'd go out. where nobody, There's not much people there at all. But there were tons of cohogs. I mean, it was, we would have two, three bucketfuls, each of us, every time, right? And we'd paddle out there, we'd go together, and I remember we would, I remember one of the first times we went out, and um, I used to have like this pillow sheet that I tie around uh, 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 my rope, and I put it on, I put all the cohogs in there, and then every once in a while I'd go back to the, to the, the bucket with the little uh, ring, the, what's it called, the noodle, the pool noodle to keep it floating, and I'd drop them in there, right? And, and I would do that every so often, but I'm walking along, and I have, I've, and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot a pillow sheet. He's like, that's right, I got something in my car. So he pulls out, and he brings out those nylon, those, those potato sacks, you know, that have all, they're all like woven or whatever it is. And he gives, and that works, right? People, you, some of you use that. And so I tie it up there, I put it on, and we're going, we start going. I think it was my second time with him. We're going about 20 minutes. He goes that way, I go this way. We're pretty close, you know. And um, it was a beautiful day. He's like, hey, Bob, how's it going over there? And of course, Gary was great at using his toes to get all his cohogs. He was an, it's all he did. I mean, he didn't, need that. he didn't need that rake. So I'm using that rake, and I'm pulling them in. I'm bringing them in. Every so often, I get some. I'm getting the feel for it. I'm getting them, and I'm taking them. I'm putting them in, taking them, putting them in. And 
He's like, how are you doing over there? After 20 I said, Gary, I'm doing great. This place is amazing. I have like at least 20 already, probably about there. He's like, no way. He's like, that's really good. I got a whole bunch too, right? And he had his pillowcase already. He had, he was filling it up. And I'm walking and I'm like, a few minutes after that, I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Like, there's, where are the cohogs? Because I didn't, I, I, I noticed, I finally noticed that I didn't have any cohogs at all. You know why? There was a hole in that potato sack. Not one. So when I told him, he just cracked up. I, I can remember. I mean, Gary starts laughing, and he goes, all you have to do is backtrack where you were and pick up all the ones he dropped. And I went, yeah, good luck with that, with the tide and trying to figure out where I was. So I never did, right? But the whole point is, is that I had a sack, and I thought I was loading up with everything in it, and everything I was putting in there, there was a hole, and it was just falling through. You know what that is? That is that cistern that so many of you and us and all of us can dig out by ourselves, even as devoted as you think you are as a Christian. And I'm going to be honest. Some of you, and I, you, you might take this, you might not like this, and I don't, I don't care. I'm sorry. I don't care. Some of you, your, cis, your, your cistern or that, that sack, and you keep filling it up, you think you're going to have all you need. You're going to fill it up. You're going to bring it home. You're going to be satisfied. You're full, and it's going to sustain you, and it's good, right? And it's that cistern that's going to give you life, life-giving water that God's talking about here. And There's no fountain of living water, but it's a cistern, and it sustains you, right? You've done it on your own. And it's full of holes. And some of you are relying on all kinds of things. And, it, and, and the things I'll mention, you might not like, but you know what? It's the reality. It's the truth. And we've got to get away from it. And we've got to return back to the fountain of living water and stop digging out your own cisterns. Yes, I'm yelling. Because it's that serious. It's that important. And we miss out. I miss out. You miss out. We miss out. And don't think that you're so great and you're in such a great, great spiritual condition that you have a cistern and you're just, I don't dig any and I don't have any. You have your own cisterns and sometimes you turn to them. I know that because you're a person like I am and I have to repent of that and I have to go back to God. God says, knock it off, right? Are you like Israel this morning? Are you like Israel this morning? Have you built cisterns that leak and hold only stale, stagnant waters or nothing at all in the end because they're so cracked and broken like that potato sack with a hole in it and you think it's all good and there's nothing in there? And you're frustrated and discontent and you can't find another one. When you find another one, that's also holy. And you're losing everything. Let me ask you, what was it like when you were first saved or when you experienced that last refreshing of God in your life? Why did you go away from it? Why are you looking elsewhere? Why are you trying other things? Why are you finding your own potato sacks or building your own uh, little cisterns that don't hold any water in the end? Why? 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 Because we're so easily distracted, aren't we? You were devoted to God, remember? I'm still devoted to God, Pastor Bob. I'm not, I'm not going to say you're not. But you were so devoted to God, you were all in. You couldn't wait. And we live in a different world, and I'm not making any excuses for all culture or how culturally things are or how that's just the way they are, but you couldn't wait for Sunday to come and you could go to church and you could hear God's Word and you could sing and you could hear the preaching and hear the study and you can grow in God and just be with other believers and just elevate and magnify God and be lifted in your spirit even if you were confronted, even if you were convicted or if you were encouraged. All those things, it's all good. Because we need them all. Giving was a joy for you. Right? You love to give. Not just your finances, but your time, your energy, everything. You, you, you love to just give and pour out. And you couldn't help telling others about Him, but now there's a muzzle on your mouth because of, well, some of you might know why. You loved God like a bride loves her groom or a groom loves his bride. You, you would serve to the point that you would give everything for your spouse, for your God. You loved so much. You enjoyed your prayer, your Bible study times, and I don't suggest that most of you don't. During the day, you would spend time with him. What about now? 
Your heart was overflowing with love for Jesus. You love to lift your voice and praise, whether in public or in private or whatever, whether it was loud or quieter and the, 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 the quietness of your heart and mind in your communication with God. You love to praise God. He was the joy of your life. In other words, He was your satisfaction. He was everything to you. You didn't care if you had steak for dinner or if you had macaroni and cheese for dinner. You were satisfied because He was the joy of your life and you would smile no matter what. Makes me think of my mom eating her meals at the rehab center. Oh my goodness gracious. As a Ukrainian who loves to cook and then she's eating that food, I was like, wow. Anyway, sorry, I just had to mention that. And not only that, you followed God completely. It wasn't part-time. It wasn't when you chose or decided it was okay. You wanted to obey whatever he told you. You hated sin in your life. And in general, you hated sin because God hates sin. No sacrifice was too great for your Lord. You would be willing to sacrifice. You enjoyed serving God and you would do anything for him. Anything. You knew you were God's special treasure, right? Just like Israel was. You knew. You felt so, if I could just say special. When I say felt, you knew in your spirit. You, you just were so full. You knew you were special. And maybe more specific rather than just saying special because I don't want you to run away thinking that you have to, you know, the esteem thing and all that. And, and as much as that, God, when you have God, you're, you're all good, right? But more specifically, you felt not just special, but you felt and you knew you were set apart. Not just special. You were set apart for God. You belonged to him. And, and if he belonged to you, that's all you need. Jesus saved you. He died for you. He chose you to be his. You had been forgiven. You were cleansed. You were saved. And that was your joy. That was your soul satisfaction. And you could just say, and you could echo what Paul said in the first several verses of Ephesians 2, that we, I was once dead in my trespasses and sins, but thanks be to God who through Christ Jesus, He made me alive through Him. And you would just remember that and you were filled with joy and that's all that mattered. You weren't looking for potato sacks. You weren't looking for a new cistern to dig. You had Jesus. And as time went along like Israel, you began to drift. We love to say that history repeats itself. Unfortunately, it does, but it doesn't have to. Does it? It doesn't have to. So don't let it repeat again in your life, just like with Israel and with us. Stop it now. Don't let it repeat. The first thing to go is your quiet time, right? You no longer had the joy and satisfaction in your personal relationship with Jesus. Giving maybe became a burden. Serving was a sacrifice you were unwilling to make. Church became dry and boring and mechanical and just something you do just to, just to do. You began to tolerate old sins again in your life. Sins you had given up when you were saved or when you had rededicated or committed yourself again to the Lord, just like Israel did in their history. And now you're giving in to them again. And yes, I'm going to say it. And you can call me a holy roller. You can call me whatever you want. You can call me legalistic. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care. I don't. I'm sorry to say that. I know you're listening and I don't. But even some of your vices that some of you are involved in, stop it. You're not representing Jesus properly. You're not. I don't care if you have the right to do certain things. They don't represent Jesus the right way, and it's not beneficial for you. You could say it's not harmful, it's not forbidden, it's not prohibited, but it's not beneficial. And you're not representing a holy, righteous God the right way, and you might just be through your vices and enjoying them, leading others astray. God says, what are you doing? I thought you would sacrifice everything for me. I thought you'd give up the old life. I thought you'd put aside the things of the flesh and walk in the spirit. No, I like that too much. I got to have this. I got to have that. Oh, it's only here. It's only then. I'm talking to me too. I'm talking to all of us as God's people. This is the truth. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to fight with me or not, you can call me whatever you want. Label me whatever you want. I don't really care. God's serious. 
God is very serious. He's coming soon as a world that's dying. And he's like, listen, you gave all this stuff up, but then you're going back to it. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But it's not forbidden, but it's not good. Stop it. You began to listen to the voice of man, even if it was yourself, but even others around you, rather than the voice of God. That's, and you, this, this decline, this drifting starts happening, right? And you're looking for the approval of men more than of God. And you're always concerned about that. You start drinking out of a moldy, dirty, stagnant cistern. You turned away from the fountain of living water, the Lord God. And for us, of course, Jesus is that living fountain, that water that never runs dry. Jesus said so himself that if you come to me, I'll give you this water. It'll never run out. It'll keep bubbling up. And you know what? You know how this drift starts happening? It's not even a conscious decision. It's not a conscious decision. You didn't just one day say, I'm going to forsake God, the only true source of soul satisfaction, and try to find soul satisfaction somewhere else or my own way. That doesn't work that way. You wake up and like, oh yeah, God, you're awesome, but ah, I'm, I'm gone. No, no, it's a slow process. And slowly these things happen. And all of a sudden, they fade. And before you know it, you're, you're doing your own thing. And you, you're forsaking the living fountain. You begin drinking that stale, contaminated water of your own cistern. Or even one that someone else has dug out for you. Maybe the cistern is this. Maybe the cistern is relationships. The cistern of relationships. People think if they can just find the right relationship, the right person, their life will finally be satisfying and fulfilling. The right guy or girl. Mr. Right, Mrs. Right. Mrs. Perfect. And before long, right? Sharon can affirm this with me. Before long, they find out Mr. Right can only fill their, not only fill their cup, but he also punches holes in it and drains it sometimes. I know none of you do that. He or she is not the answer. You know, here's the reality. Rather than being a fountain that we ought to be because we're connected and we're drinking from the fountain and he's in us and he lives in us and he is the cistern that we keep drawing for, these people are a drain. And how about you? Are you a fountain or are you a drain? Are you life-giving or are you a drain where everything comes down and you suck the life out of people? Or are you life-giving? You can choose to be one or the other. Are you a fountain or a drain? Don't think about people around you. Think about yourself. Don't point fingers. Look in your own heart and your own life. Some people think that maybe children is the answer. After all, it's relationship and God wants us as married couples and, and husband and wife to have children. He desires that and he, he, that's, that's part of how it works, right, if you will. And, and, and God designed it that way. If I can just have children, I will find and then we fill in the blank. Children certainly will fill our cup, but they're also great at emptying it. Thank you, guys. Right? They can really disappoint and frustrate us. They might think that a good friend is the answer. The reality is no person can bring you true, lasting soul satisfaction. Not one person. Are you drinking from the relationship or the cistern of relationships? Trying to find the next one and you realize, oh man, they're not God. They're not Jesus. He, they can't do that. Maybe it's the cistern of things. 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 I heard an interesting podcast, but I was listening to it, and it's this idea. We have this battle now, and it's, it's been there since the fall. But, I mean, more than ever before, and, and globally, we have so much stuff. We have the, the, the wealth that's around us and the stuff that's around us and everything's at our disposal, whether it's real or fake or it's whatever, but it's there. We have stuff, right? And it's that wrestling between being having and being. What about, is it about your being or is it about having things? Which one is it? And I think God says it's about your being. 
It's about your soul. It's about who you are, your character, your integrity, your righteousness, your holiness, your love and your devotion to me. It's not about the things that will satisfy even God. It doesn't bring God joy because you have six billion things. We love things, 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 that physical thing. And it's no different than those physical gods the four nations had made and now Israel was running after. Maybe you're drinking out of the cistern of happiness, pleasure, good times. <laughs> I like a good time. Who doesn't want to have a good time? Right? God, God allows us to do that, right? But there's an obsession that some people have, even among our own brothers and sisters. Listen, we are a nation that craves entertainment. We crave pleasure. We crave good times. We cannot wait until the next vacation, the next holiday, the next weekend, and we want to indulge and just enjoy and lay back and feel pleasure in our flesh. That's what we want. It's not wrong to have a good time, but when we seek our soul satisfaction in good times, and we feel fulfilled through entertainment. And when we do that, we're, we're drinking out of a broken cistern. You are. I am. We will if we keep doing that. Maybe it's the cistern of accomplishments that you've carved out for yourself. If I can just get that promotion, man. I can make the varsity team. Whatever it is, that extra college degree. Whatever that accomplishment is, you know, and in your ambitions that are there for that accomplishment, it's a cistern that's full of cracks. It will not satisfy you. Not on its own. Not when it's void of Jesus and God's will. It won't be. It's a cistern that's cracked. There's also a cistern that might not make some of you happy, and that's okay. And, and, and it doesn't make me happy, too, because I've been there, too. It's that cistern of our religiosity. And what I mean by that is, is that, well, I've been a Christian for so long, and I'm in the Word, and I know the Word of God, and, and, and we, it's full of cracks. I have never met one person, whether I was in Bible school or in my life till now, that has had a perfect theology. Oh, we want good theology, man. We want to stay in the Word and stay out of trouble. Amen? Yes, 100%. You have not found one person with a perfect theology. And then we can get so learned. Listen, we all can. And we use that as it's our own sister. You, You can disagree, that's fine. But it's a cistern that we hew out by ourselves. We get a system of learning ourselves. And if we just apply this, and if we systematize that, and I know this, and I can defend this logically, and I can do that, and we use that, and we can even weaponize that, actually. We have to be careful. But, but it's, it's got cracks in it because you're finite, and you have limitations, and you don't know it all, and you're not all wise, and your theology has, can I just say it? It has holes in it. Don't rely on that. Don't rely on that. Do not rely on that. Rely on the Word of God. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Stay humble. Keep going to the Word of God. So He keeps realigning and reminding you, I'm the cistern, not your system, not your theology. Not, we need it all. I, I hope you're not misunderstanding me. But we got to be careful of that. And I'm only saying that because I, I've been in that arena on some level. Okay? So we got to be careful. But all these things we make, they run dry. So here's the conclusion. We have a choice to make this morning. We have a choice to make. You can try to supply your desires and your needs on your own, even as a child of God, by the way. Or you can continually keep coming to God through Christ. I need these reminders. We need these reminders. We got to knock it off. We got to we got to stop building our own cisterns and then hanging our hat on it and thinking it's all and we're drinking nasty water. And as a result, we end up not being very healthy spiritually. Listen to God's invitation. I referenced this scripture as we closed a few weeks ago when we were reading in Isaiah 55, but the first few verses 
would you do this today? Would you take God at His word and would you just accept His invitation? He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He didn't say, if you're thirsty, dig out your own cistern, find a source, <clears throat> and fill up your cistern with water, and then draw and drink. No. Come to the waters. <clears throat> you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Turn your life around and take seriously the words of of God through Jeremiah to the, the people of Israel and to the church today and say with the psalmist in Psalm 63 1 oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water and that I can't dig a cistern good enough and sealed enough that'll hold all the water I need you because you're the fountain of living water i added that last part jesus continues to call to us and it still holds true in john 7 37 if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink stop digging your own cisterns and the only reason you're digging your own cistern is because you've abandoned god choice is yours Keep digging your own or come to Jesus. Maybe you've got all kinds of cisterns around you. Today, start fresh. Run to God. Bow your knee to Him. Surrender. Be filled with Him. Do it His way, not your way. Start living the way He expects you with that full devotion of a youth, with that, 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 that service and that love that exists between the the, the bride and the groom. Start today. And renew it today. Amen. We're going to pray. The altars will be open. If you need to come and just take a minute and like, you know what? Just lay it down and just give it up. Maybe it's something for you physically to do to just remind yourself and to say, I- I'm, I'm abandoning that and I'm running back to you, God. Do it today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we take your words seriously. Lord, there is so much more there, and I know your Holy Spirit will prick our hearts and touch us and challenge us and change us and redirect us so long as we hear you and we come to you and we surrender and submit to you, Lord. So give us the strength to do that as well. Help us to let go of our ways and to abandon those cisterns that we have dug that are not holding water. Help us to run into you again and to abide in you and to to drink from you and to stay connected and to just draw from you so that we can stay humble and yet so satisfied because we have you and you're all that we need. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.